Hello and welcome in Avalanche fans to another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host JJ Jerez with me of course Arif Dean. We're fresh off the Avalanche 4-1 win over Anaheim. Avs are back to a win streak two in a row here and the first team in the NHL to reach 60 points. Arif, how you doing? I'm doing great, but I got to ask Avalanche fans how they're doing because in the matter of, what, 24 hours, Joe Sackick made a trade with the Red Wings and acquired Devin Dubnik in a separate deal. So I just, I, I'm, I've been on Twitter and I've been kind of getting the pulse of Avs fans and it's either been jump off a bridge, this sucks, I don't even want to win the cup anymore, <laughs> and it's been, let, let's go all in on this. There's been no middle ground and it's actually really funny to see. Yeah, I think that's where we're going to start. We'll get to the Anaheim series after. We have more pressing yeah, matters yeah, at I, hand. I want to start. I want to start with these trades. Right. Even though it was just a fourth and a fifth that the Avs gave up, these are two pretty legit moves. And Greg Patterson, don't forget him. I know he was yeah, just a throw-in, um, I mean, and nobody really likes him, but he was part of the trades. The Greg Patterson part of the trade is really, really important, and actually great work by Joe Sakic because of all the teams that have been making deals from Toronto to Tampa Bay to Montreal. Everybody has a player that they wanted to get off of their books in order to acquire somebody and was unable to do it. So for Toronto and, and uh, Tampa Bay's case, in order to acquire Felino and David Savard, they had to pay more in draft pick capital to get a third team involved to eat up cap space. Joe Sackick's like, I'm not doing any of that. You're going to take Greg Patteron to make this work for me or we're just not going to do it. And that's kind of what happened and, and, and he made it work. They added $285,000 in cap space when you account for Patteron and when you account for Johansson now being on the taxi squad. It also says a lot about a player who they just acquired, gave him about five minutes. He was, he was terrible. (laughs) I mean, I saw him uh, a lot of times working after practice, you know, or after a morning skate, because he's usually the scratch. So he would stay late and it just seemed like they would get frustrated with his inability to do some of the skill moves. Right. And that's kind of the basis of this defensive group is, you know, being quick uh, on the blue line and being able to move that puck really fast. And he just couldn't do it. He's just there to kind of be a bruiser. So yeah, so long, Greg Patteron. We hardly knew Jacob, Jacob Mc. Yeah, Jacob McDonald passed him on the depth chart, sure. Dennis Gilbert was above him and then got injured, sure. Dan Renouf, bit of a stretch. Kyle Burrows, who? Keaton Middleton, who? And it just kind of got to the point where he was like your 13th, 14th option, and he's eating up $1.2 million of your cap space in a year where everybody is so cap-strapped. It's just, it's, I mean, Ian Cole, when he got traded, it wasn't because Ian Cole you know, was having a terrible year or just didn't belong. It was because Bowen Byram came out of nowhere and the Avalanche just had this new wave of young defensemen where Cole just simply lost his spot and became a $4 million sixth, sixth defenseman, which they just couldn't do. Patteron just was brutal. <laughs> he just didn't belong and he couldn't he couldn't fight. He wasn't doing anything for them. So Yeah, I think that's when he came in. That's what you and I were excited about, right? We thought he was going to yeah. be more of a bruiser and we're like, all right, this guy's going to get people's back. We thought he was going to be Liam O'Brien. Yeah, exactly. Liam O'Brien, Kyle Burrows dropped the gloves. Keaton Middleton today was in Getzloff's face. Getzloff's like, who the hell is this guy? Never seen him in my life. Ryan, neither have I. He's new. None of us have seen him. But he was he was nothing that we thought he would be. And, and it's, it's a stick taps to Joe Sackick for being able to include him in that trade. Well, let's get 
into the return, which I think is a little bit more important from our stance, yes. right? So Devin Dubnik, something you and I kind of discussed several weeks ago as an option. I know we threw out a lot of names in the last couple of weeks, but you and I went pretty in-depth on this idea. So I'm pretty proud of us. Pat on our back here for kind of calling this one. Um, but let, let's get into it. I mean, we, we talked about it before, and I kind of mentioned, you know, I'll just repeat myself and repeat my take from that podcast, how the best years for him were in Minnesota, right? We consider him a good goalie because of what we've seen him do with the Wild, but there was a, a big period there before he got to Minnesota where he was struggling to stay in the NHL with Arizona and uh, with Edmonton. Then he got to the Wild, kind of resurrected himself. Then we saw him with San Jose, not so much uh, of a good team, and his numbers kind of reflected that as well. So I think he's going to be strong playing behind this Avs defense, but you know I don't think he's exactly uh, threatening Grubauer for a position or even you know threatening to stay here past this playoff run. No, and, and that's why he was given up for some guy that we just trashed for three minutes and a fifth-round <laughs> draft pick. Like, that's that's why the deal is what it was. Devin Dubnik is a good goalie in the NHL. I can confidently say that he's a top 62, so a starter or backup in this, in this league, which is what the Avalanche needed right now. Uh, is he closer to 62 than he is to 1? I don't know. Maybe he's somewhere in the middle. Maybe he kind of dips toward the 62. But the way that I see it is this. So he had all those great years in Minnesota, and then as Minnesota started to tail off, so too did he. Um, but the Avalanche acquired a goalie from Buffalo that had one win in 11 games and like an 860, 870 safe percentage. And a Buffalo beat reporter for The Athletic, I think, John Vogel, who might sound stupid right now, no disrespect, because his tweet didn't age well where he said, this is perhaps the worst goalie I've seen in my 19 years of covering the Sabres. He can't stop pucks even at practice. And I know he's played Anaheim and before that, I think he had that St. Louis game and then his obviously his opener against Arizona. He's got five game, four starts under his belts and five games because of that one goal, one shot he surrendered to Minnesota. And he's got a 929 save percentage. He's three and one. If the Avalanche and UC Parkola and their defense can turn Johansson into a 929 goalie who goes three and one in his first four games, I think Dubnik's going to be okay. And for the pieces that they gave up for him, this isn't... Patrick Waugh is stupidly trading a second for Red Obera. This is getting rid of a player that was eating up cap space for no reason and a fifth-round draft pick that, let's face it, the Az never draft good in any pick past number 33 overall. <laughs> That's just the reality. Even their second-rounders, they've only hit on who? Connor Timmins and, and Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's it's a good deal from that sense. I don't I don't think Dubnik was brought in here to be someone who's going to challenge Grubauer, but Dubnik was brought in here to play games, be a respectable goalie, and when... Grubauer needs a night off, and if he gets injured in the playoffs, you feel a little more confident than having Hunter Miska or, or Jonas Johansson, you know, handling the crease like Hutchinson was. Yeah, Yo Johansson did fine. He obviously had a pretty good record, four wins, right, and one overtime loss. Um, 3-0-1. 3? Okay, 3-0-1, yeah. my bad. Um, what I kind of realized in his games over the last couple games, especially the last two, you know, he he was the type of goalie where any time a shot was coming in on him, you're you hold your breath, right? Your yeah. your anus puckers up a little bit. Yeah, and it was constant every single shot, even all the way through tonight's game. I just still didn't have that confidence in him, and I think the reason why is because his vision. I think he's a capable goalie. He's kind of exactly what um, Ken Dryden was complaining about in his. With the athletic a couple months ago about big goalies not needing to get up. I mean that's kind of his style. He's just huge. He's 
in position a lot of times, so he makes a lot of of the good saves, and that's why yeah. some people gave me flack on Twitter and said, "No, he's been great for uh, for the Avalanche," but. It's he he loses the puck so quickly. I mean, he can't. Yeah. You you constantly see him scramble around to find it, and that's what drives me a little bit crazy about him. So, just having Dubnik, you know, suddenly I can exhale and suddenly I can relax and know that whoever is in net, I'm not going to be tensing up every single shot. So, I, I like what Johansson did. He was never meant to come here and be the the relief option. He reminds me of that. What's that old story? A, a Dutch boy who pl- plugs a dam with his finger, right? Yeah, and the whole town rejoices he's the hero well eventually you, <laughs> yeah, I, I, eventually yeah, I he's supposed to take his finger out and you want to p- cover that up with a, a a lid or some cement or some mortar right so that's what johansson was he, he stuck his finger in there stopped the uh dam from flooding the city and now dubnik is here to be that brick that mortar to cover up the actual hole and now we could all rest easy that the city's not going to flood Exactly, yeah. And what you just said was Dubnik is gonna is gonna stop the actual hole because Johansson probably just was dealing with that creek in the corner. Because basically what the Avalanche have done with Johansson is they've sheltered him. They gave him a game against the St. Louis Blues when the Blues were at their lowest of lows. And that's not to take away from beating the Blues. That's a hell of a win. It was a great game, it was a great win, and it was a one goal game, which means Johansson had to be solid to the end. And then he got two games against Anaheim, which again, the first game, a couple nights ago, he even said in his post-gamer, the team just didn't play well today. And, you know, had it not been for an empty netter, also a one-goal game and a shutout, he had to be on his whole game. Today, obviously, again, Anaheim, the Avalanche kind of mopped them. It wasn't really much of a game. And his first game was against Arizona, a 5-4 loss, I believe, in the shootout in a game where, you know, the Avalanche were rolling and they were beating everybody. So they've sheltered him. They've not given him a game against Minnesota. Those two games where Minnesota really shellacked Philip Grubauer over two nights. He hasn't gotten a game against Vegas. He's not playing great teams. The Avalanche are finding ways to shelter him. When it comes time, let's say you're in a playoff series and Grubauer is day-to-day because these things happen and has to miss a game in a series against the Wild or the the Golden Knights— Playing Johansson is going to be the ultimate exhale every time he or inhale every time he makes a save and a gasp and a please, Lord, don't mess this up. And the Avalanche are going to be so worried because that's who they have behind him that they're not going to be able to play their game because they know they have to shelter their goalie. Dubnik gives you something better than that. Is he going to give you 930 like Grubauer or 920 like Grubauer? No. But he is a goalie who has been a he might. He's a goalie that has been a starter in the NHL that knows what it's like to play, and especially against the Wild. If Dubnik came in, you know he's going to be on his game. So this is a far different goalie. He's not, you know, he's not the Devin Dubnik of 2014, 15, 16, but he's a solid piece. And like you said, when he's in goal, you can exhale and know you have a solid backup goalie. I also really am impressed with his demeanor, right? We saw that first media availability today, and he had a smile on his face, really laid back, happy to be here, and just seemed like a genuine person to talk to. And then you see him go out on warm-ups, and he's kind of playing around with everyone, right? Hitting everybody on the shins, kind of throwing Tyson Jost, or maybe it was Donskoy into the wall a little bit, just getting people ready on his first game, just kind of already making an impression on the ice, making an impact on the energy of the team. So I, I like that. He's got that leadership capability, and he can maybe even play a role in the locker room. However, 
15 games left in the regular season. I mean, I only see him playing, what, maybe about five? And you really want to ride Philip Grubauer come playoff time, right? So I think if you see Devin Dubnik come playoff time, it might be a bit of a red flag. So how many games do you actually see him getting in here throughout the rest of the season? So I'm not sure if you were on the call with Jared Bender about an hour ago. Obviously, we're recording Sunday night right after the Avalanche's 4-1 to win. That's what I asked him. I said, hey, Jared, Johansson's brought up these last two games. You know he's a capable goalie that can give you wins when you need them. You got Devin Dubnik that just came in. You have Philip Grubauer, who obviously has played as much hockey as he's played. Is it safe to assume that you can rotate and use all three of these guys over the next 15 games to get the message across that Gruby needs more rest, which is what Bednar repeated five or six times in his uh, post-gamer. And he said he couldn't answer that now. It, you know, it depends on the standings and who you're playing and who's hot and who's not. But in the grand scheme of things, that's likely the scenario. Because the Avalanche are done with Minnesota. They're now done with Anaheim. They're going to be done with Arizona tomorrow after playing them with Grubauer and goal. But after that, you're going to have uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, you're going to have the LA Kings, you're going to have the San Jose Sharks, you're going to have games where you don't need Grubauer, obviously not the ones with Vegas, and uh, you're going to have the Blues where you'll probably need you know, need your grade A goaltender, depending on how good the Blues are doing that week. They seem to be hot and cold. But they're going to have a lot of games where you can throw them to Johansson, throw them to Dubnik. You can do what you did tonight and have one goalie start, the other backup, and Grubauer not even in equipment. Let him Let him take a night off and just chill out for a little bit. So... 15 games, long-winded answer. I think Grubauer plays anywhere from 8 to 10 of them, and then 5 to 7 goes between Dubnik and Johansson. Maybe all Dubnik, maybe some for both. I I look at this current 1-2 package of Grubauer and Dubnik, and it reminds me of Vegas, honestly. I mean, that was the biggest yeah. thing we were talking about that we were envious of that Vegas had was that amazing 1-2 punch and net. And you look at Marc-Andre Fleury, and you look at Philip Grubauer, and they're the skinnier, stringy, athletic goaltender, right? And then you look at Leonard, and you look at Dubnik, very similar goaltenders, more of the bulkier, big guys who take up a lot of net, but still are very capable of being a number one goalie. So yeah. it's just so refreshing to see this this goalie tandem now, because that's exactly what we needed, what we wanted, and just having a guy who's not only experienced in being a number one, but could also still be a number one behind the right team, in my opinion. You know, suddenly you're better than Vegas in that front, in my opinion. Yeah, and and I wish I I remembered who it was, but somebody from San Jose tweeted me, uh, a fan, not a media member, saying something along the lines of, I know Dubnik's numbers don't look good, but he stood on his head. You know, the Sharks' defense sucks. He's played well. And then as soon as the Sharks' defense started to play well, they rode Martin Jones. So I don't think his stats are as good as are, are as bad as they look. Uh, I don't think he's as bad as his stats look. I should I should say, but I don't think he's as good as he was when he was the wild starter. And, you know, nearly winning Vezina trophies for so many years. He's somewhere in the middle, which is what the Avs need right now. I don't know. I feel like maybe playing behind this Avs defense can really yeah. give a resurgence to his game. You know, I know San Jose doesn't have a terrible defense, so it's hard to really point to that. But I mean, we've talked all season about how much more improved this Avs defense is than past years and how they're a big reason for Philip Grubauer only facing 25 shots a night, right? So put put these guys in front of Dubnik and there's a good chance he throws in a couple shutouts of his own on the rest of the uh, stretch here. You know, I I see where you're coming from. Like I'm I'm kind of sold on the fact that and I'm not going to pretend I I really kept an eye on Minnesota as much as I would have in the past when they were really them and the Avalanche were going at it. But these last 2 or 3 years his stats kind of dwindled, but 
I mean, you make a good point. Is that a case of he's gotten old and his career's behind him, like Ryan Miller going from a starter to a backup? Or is that just a case of Minnesota was getting worse and worse and this team just kept bringing the same thing back and Bruce Boudreaux got old and Parisi and Suter and blah, blah. I don't know the answer to that. What I can see here is a goalie in Devin Dubnik who, rather than being like Ryan Miller going from a starter to a career backup, potentially having an opportunity coincidentally like Cam Talbot, who replaced him in Minnesota. Cam Talbot was obviously, you know, he's bounced around a little bit, but everywhere he's gone, he's played that tandem duty. And maybe that's where what happens with Dubnik. He ends up leaving here and finding another job because obviously Fransuz is still under contract next year. So Dubnik won't be back. I don't think the ads are going to go with Fransuz and Dubnik. Who knows? Well, who knows but, what, what's actually going on with Fransuz? Will he actually ever play yeah. hockey again? Yeah. And if knows? that's the case... I think you absolutely take a flyer on bringing Dubnik back. Well, of course, barring what actually happens and how he performs, yeah. but I, I'm pretty confident he's going to be just fine. And I think you, you consider it because, like I said, just having this tandem to go up against the Vegas tandem, I think that's what a championship team looks like nowadays. And, and yeah, I mean, it's... It's tough because you look at Tampa Bay and they rode Vasilevsky. McElhinney didn't see it. No, but, but, the, Avalanche, but the Avalanche don't have a Vasilevsky. The Avalanche have that level of goalie in Grubauer that they had in Varlamov where it's not Tuka Rask in his prime. It's not Carey Price in his prime, not right now. And it's not Henrik Lundqvist in his prime or Mika Kiprasov or uh, Vasilevsky. It's that level right below where he's good enough to win a cup, but on a bad team, he will falter. On a good team, he will play well, which is Varlamov in a nutshell. Varlamov on a good team, look how he's playing. Varlamov on a bad team, we've seen it. See Braden was- Holtby. See, Bra- exactly. See, Braden Holby. Braden Holby won a cup and was almost a Consmite Trophy winner. See all the guys in Chicago that won cups. Corey Crawford, to me, is not, you know, Henrik Lundqvist in his prime, but Corey Crawford, and no disrespect to him, but Crawford, like Chris Osgood, is those goalies where he'll make the save when you need it. He can get hot. He'll give you a 930, 940 playoff run, but he's not going to do that for 20 years and win you 500 games, like a Patrick Waugh. Or uh, or 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 a Lundqvist or Flurry or all these guys that are up in the four fifties and five hundreds now. So that's kind of where they are with Grubauer. And uh, in regards to Dubnik, I mean, again, I the reason why I'm tripping over my words is because I see what you're saying. I don't think he's really fallen off the map as much as his opportunity. I mean, look at Varley's last two three years in Denver. He had that good season in eighteen, which ended with injury, so he didn't get a chance to play in the playoffs. He had the rough season in 19 where Grubauer, you know, took over the starting role. And then he had the brutal season in 17. Did anybody think that was going to lead to a four-year, $20 million deal where he's now leading the Islanders to potentially a very long playoff run again? So it's kind of one of those things with Dubnik where maybe he just needs to kind of what he did earlier in his career that you were talking about and just get an opportunity to just rekindle the love and, and, and the rhythm that he had when he was in Minnesota for so many years. And if he does that, by all means, man, as much as this isn't the opinion that Avalanche fans love, I'd love for him to come back because he's a good goalie and you're going to get him for cheap and he's going to be thankful that the Avalanche took a flyer on him and given him a chance to win maybe one, two, three Stanley Cups or whatever it is. Obviously, the one thing you don't want to do is the Brad Stewart thing and actually give him a contract before he plays a game. But we're speaking in hypotheticals right now and in a hypothetical situation, if he does what you're saying he can do and what I'm kind of coming around to, then... That's a perfect tandem goalie for what you have in Grubauer, assuming obviously Francis has fallen off the earth somewhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
I don't know what else to say about him. I'm just excited to see what he has to offer. Yeah. I mean, I I, th- I think uh, he could definitely find that resurgence in his game. And what better way to do that than just simply joining an awesome team like this? I mean, like I said, first team to 60 points. This is the best team in the NHL right now, hands down. So what better way to rekindle your love for the game than to suddenly join a, a contender and start winning? I mean, no, nothing feels better than just simply getting in net and winning games. So... Um, you know, I, I think he's going to enjoy his time here, and I honestly think the Avs are really going to enjoy him in the locker room and just being a part of the team because he is one of those guys. I said it on the hockey show. It was actually really fun because we got to break the news on the hockey show. Um, yeah, I, I listened to that. That was cool. I said he reminds me of like a Manu Ginobili type or a Claude Lemieux, the guy that you don't enjoy having as an opponent but when he's on your team he's just one of those guys you absolutely love you absolutely love to see him go to battle for his teammates because that's something he does right I mean he's just a goalie but he's not afraid to get in people's faces he's not afraid to throw blockers here and there so I I just like that aspect about him he's one of those guys that it's either love or hate and now it's time for the uh, abs fans to love him I, I think I even saw somebody literally say now I hope the avalanche don't win the cup because I don't want him touching it yeah, I, I saw the responses to Ryan Bolding's tweet about what people thought about it. And I'm just like, dude, like, relax. <laughs> this team once employed Brad May. This team had Claude Lemieux for so many years. And and uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Jeffrey one more time as I try to pull up his tweet really quickly. Uh, he said something along the lines of that. It's the fact that, you know, the Avalanche had Claude Lemieux for so many years. He was perhaps the most hated guy in the NHL. And we're worried about Devin Dubinick coming in and giving us what we need, which is a backup goalie that can play like relax. Don't alert. Like it's, it's going to be okay. Devin Dubnik is going to do just fine. And, and that nails it on the head for me. He's the guy that you love when he's on your team and you hate him when he's on the other team. And, and that's what Claude Lemieux was for so many years. That's what, and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, my favorite non avalanche ever is probably Chris Pronger because he was that kind of guy too. And those are the kind of guys you want. Those are the physical, the, the guys, Jordan Bennington's a pain in everybody's ass. But if he was on our team, we'd love his little fake punches to to Carlson and all that stupid things he's 100%. been doing this year. Absolutely. So, you know what, man? It's it's a great move. And, and to me, I think Joe Sackett got it just right because you don't want to overpay for somebody who's going to come in and be an insurance. I think this is about the same thing they gave up. I can't remember the exact draft pick it was. Well, actually, no, they didn't give up a draft pick for Hutchinson. They gave up Callie Rosen. So it's about the same thing. They just gave up a low draft pick that they're not going to do much with to bring in a goalie that's going to give you hopefully a lot more than Hutchinson did last year. And that's with the fact that Hutchinson had to come in and save your bacon in the playoffs for three games. Absolutely. I mean, I think we've gotten everything we need to get on Devin Dubnik out, right? But there's been another trade since our last podcast that we need yes. to get into as well. And that. That's the one one you brought up at the top of the show, the trade with Detroit, throwing everybody off, you know, especially because a week or two ago, we heard rumors of Eiserman in the building, right? Him and his scouts checking out the Avs, thinking Bernier. Yeah, Pat Pat Verbeek, Pat Verbeek, his assistant GM, has been at many Avs games recently. There you go. So we're thinking John Bernier, we're thinking, oh... What, what kind of crazy move is Iserman and, and Sackick working on? It turns out I just mentioned, for Patrick Nemeth. Yeah, I mentioned Jonathan Merrill, too, the defenseman. And John Merrill, uh, he went to Michigan, which is why I, I really like the idea of him because I watched him play college hockey. And he ended up having the resurgent season in Vegas. And he was actually traded later today to Montreal for a fifth rounder. Uh, but the Avalanche didn't go with him. They kind of threw a curveball. I mean, acquiring Patrick Nemeth, as funny as it sounds... 
as soon as you see the trade, you're like, yeah, this is what they needed. They need a guy, no disrespect to Nemeth, but they need a guy who can be a fifth, sixth defenseman who can replace. I know you and you and uh, Bolding talked about on the hockey show about him replacing what Ian Cole had brought in earlier in the season. And, and Ryan was talking about how obviously Ian Cole making 4.25 million is the reason why he's not here. And obviously you're going to have this guy for a hell of a lot less than that. But I don't think he replaces Ian Cole. To me, he replaces what should have been the Eric Johnson role had Johnson been healthy this whole season. It's playing with Ryan Graves, the two bigger physical defensemen that are both towering, that can kill penalties together, be on the ice at the end of a game to close out a game, and really limit the defensive assignments for Taves, McCarr, and Gerrard. Because those guys have been riding hard into that. So right now you're going to have Taves and Gerrard and McCarr, you're going to have Graves, you're going to have Nemeth, and then your number six is who? It's Bowen Byron when he's healthy, or it's uh, it's uh, Jacob McDonald. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody, but it really gives the Avalanche exactly what they needed in that role. And it was somebody to come in, and, and, it, and, and most importantly, it's somebody they know, somebody they can trust, being Jared Bednar. He's still young. He's 29, and he's had a pretty damn good year with Detroit. His numbers are on par with where they were with the Avalanche. He's going to come in. He's no longer going to play 20, 25 minutes alongside Mark Barbario on your second pair. He's going to be your fifth, sixth defenseman, and it just makes so much sense. Yeah, there's a handful of guys you slot in there, right, from McDonald to Burroughs um, to Renouf. So yeah, uh, a lot of guys at the depth spot. But, yeah, I think you shore up the depth spot a little bit just mainly because of familiarity. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Like I said, there's only 15 regular season games left. And if you're going to give a, a new defenseman a role like killing penalties, you want them to kind of already have an idea of yeah. the way the, the structures run here in town, right? So I, I, like I said on the hockey show, I remember – how much Jared Bednar loved that aspect of Nemeth's game was the penalty kill. Yeah. I mean, I remember as media, we'd be like, what's up with Nemeth? Why are you playing him? And, he's, and he'd always have good things to say about his penalty killing. So I think that's so, the sole reason he was brought in, and, and I'm for it because, uh, you know, you don't need him to, to – you don't need to put too much of a responsibility on his shoulders. You don't need him to be an Eric Johnson type player because you got those guys, uh, the younger group, right? So you just need him to be a bigger body and, and stand in and kill some penalties and maybe even win a cup in the process. Yeah, and I mean, if Byram is healthy, there's your top six right there. It's Byram, Makar, Gerard, Taves, Graves, and Patrick Nemeth. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you remember Game 82, everybody remembers Game 82, the one against the Blues where Miko Rant and all these guys just dogpiled Gabe Landeskog. Nemeth was in there too. He was on the ice at the end of the game killing off what was, you know, a St. Louis Blues push to try to tie the game before Landeskog scored the empty netter. So he's he's trustworthy in that sense. He, to me, slots into the role that you were going to have Eric Johnson play. And, and he's a familiar face. It's, it makes a lot of sense. Why go out and bring in John Merrill, who's a good defenseman, when you can bring in somebody who you know what he's going to give you and are safe to give up and, and are, are feeling okay to give up a fourth rounder knowing this is what you're getting in Patrick Nemeth for the, for the playoff run. So like you said, he's, he was brought in to be kind of Eric Johnson's replacement. Is Eric Johnson done for the year? Yep. So Johnson so recently, yes. right? Johnson and Francis are both done. And uh, I asked Bednar months ago, 
maybe maybe four or five, six weeks ago, if if it was safe to assume that they're both not going to play. And he said, for the foreseeable future or something along those lines. And he was asked that again yesterday. And he said, yes, it's safe to assume Francis and Johnson are not playing this year. So what they just brought in the last couple of days is Francis's replacement and Eric Johnson's replacement. Sorry to but the, put... Oh, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Go ahead. Sorry to put you on the spot here, but what does being on the IR, how does that affect the expansion draft at all? Does it? So I've kind of been talking to Mike about this and we've been trying to figure it out. I don't think it changes anything because, because, you know, Mike and I were debating if it's going to make him exempt, but I don't think that's the case because guys like David Clarkson and them were still either had to be protected or had to waive their no moves and no trades. Um, but I, what I will say is that Eric Johnson being injured the entire season and pretty much not playing and being on the, on the cap for $6 million makes it so much easier to be like, Hey, Eric, go ahead and waive your no trade clause because there is no way in absolute green hell that Seattle's taken you. They haven't seen you all year and you're old. So wave your no trade clause. Let's protect Taves and let's see you in the lineup next year. So I think it gives them that case. And the same thing with Fransuz. When Fransuz is injured the whole year, why in the heck would Seattle touch him? So if he's injured this whole year and he can come back and the hypothetical we were talking about signing Dubnik doesn't happen, well, now you have Fransuz and Johnson where you know Seattle's not going to touch them with a 10-foot pole and you bring them both back next year and you lose somebody like a Comfer or Jost or maybe Ryan Graves or something and, and you move on. Yeah, fair enough. But, uh, you know, part of me was kind of looking forward to Eric Johnson getting taken just because he is kind of that burden at this point. I mean, he is. you look at this year and he didn't even really play. So what's to what? How, how are we supposed to expect any different in the future? I feel like he's might play the rest of his career with lingering in, injuries here and there. Yeah, it's it's getting to that point with Eric Johnson where the Avalanche have to have a long chat with him about doing what the Capitals did with Brooks Orpik and buying out his trading him to someone with a draft pick to buy him out and then re-signing here for one or two million. Because let's face it, is Eric Johnson more effective than Patrick Nemeth? I mean, I can't say right now because nobody knows what's left of Eric Johnson's career, but heading into the season, yes. But having Patrick Nemeth for 1.5 million against your cap compared to an Eric Johnson at 6 million against your cap sounds pretty tasty considering the other 4.5 million you've cleared up with Johnson on LTIR could now be used for what the Avalanche are doing right now and searching for a forward. And you know Eric Johnson doesn't want to go anywhere at this point. He was part of the rebuild yeah. from the very start. He was. Yeah. He might have even been brick one of the rebuild, right? It makes it, yep, and he's the longest tenured avalanche right now. He came in months before Gabe Landeskog was drafted. It would make it a hell of a lot easier for him to accept moving on if the avalanche win the cup this year. And like I said before, because this is what's going to happen, if the Avalanche win the Cup this year, with him on or off his game and on or off the ice, you know damn well Landeskog's handing the, pu the, the Cup to Eric Johnson before anybody. And and I, I truly believe that. I truly believe if the Avs win the Cup, Gabe Landeskog in street clothes or what Forsberg did in 01, sweats and a jersey, is going to hold the Cup second after Gabe. I feel like lately in recent years... They go full attire. They go full yeah, gear. exactly. Yeah. So he's going to come out, he's going to do that. And uh, it'll be a lot easier if that was the case to 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 have him move on after the season. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll see how that uh, pans out. But for a second, I got to take a break to talk about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Basketball teams are entering the final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. 
While some teams are locks to make the playoffs, others are still fighting for their opportunity to chase the trophy this summer. So DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. Pick any basketball team to win their next game, and if during that game the team of your choosing hits A3, you bring home $100 in free bets. That's 100 to 1 odds on the team of your choosing to hit a 3. They don't even need to win. This year, teams have been hitting threes at unprecedented pace, so get in all Get in on all of the action with DraftKings Sportsbook before this offer ends. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets if the basketball team of your choosing hits A3. That's code MHS to turn $1 into $100 in free bets for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Uh, I haven't taken a lot of action in, in recent memory, but I know you you did pretty well on that Anaheim game today. So kudos to you and kudos to you for using DraftKings. Yeah, absolutely. I can't get enough of it. No matter how much I lose, I'm always pumping more in there trying to get my winnings back. I'm I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. Do you know what really hurts though? On the hockey show, every single episode, we start with making a pick, and my picks on there have just been terrible. I look like yeah, an awful. I've been, I've been listening to those. I often listen to your uh, to your hockey show two, three, four hours after it's going on. After it's gone on, and so you know how usually, bad it takes. Yeah, those bets are. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, it would be something like, yeah, Pittsburgh minus one and a half. And I check the score. Pittsburgh's down like six, one in the second period. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, dude, at least give yourself a chance. I'm not that bad. I swear. I hit a three team parlay just tonight. So, um, shoot, I, I feel like just making them public jinxes me. So moving on, we promised we'd talk about this Arizona series or Anaheim series, excuse me. So Anaheim series, we will talk obviously in our last podcast last week, we talked about how important it was to take both of these games. They handled business, took care of it. So, um, you know, not too much to get into. It was just simply the story of a better team beating a weaker team. So let's dive a little deeper. And I wanted to ask you kind of what went well for the Avalanche. What stood out to you in these last two games? That's really uh, an improvement from the previous two games, I would say. And I'll start. I'm going to say Kale McCarr is back. I know yes. he's been playing for a while, but we're starting to see the Kale McCarr we remember. Tonight he had a great game, even though he did get one own goal off of the back of his leg. I think just some of the passes he was making and the confidence to shoot again, I, I just think we, uh, we've got the return to Kale McCarr. Yeah, and, I, and I, I think that's a great point, and it's coming at a great time because right now the Avalanche are kind of settling into not overplaying Gerard Taves or McCarr, kind of riding this three-horse race and playing them all an equal, you know, Sounds like a lot back in the day, but for these young bucks, 22 to 25 minutes is nothing. So you don't have that one Duncan Keith going out there playing 30, 32 minutes or Drew Doughty. You have three of these guys that you can truly rely on. And I think that's the Avalanche's best uh, strength right now is having those three defensemen. So shout out to Kale McCarr for that. Uh, I'll do you one better. I think Nathan McKinnon is back. Because we've often been talking about Nathan McKinnon having a great year this year. And and this is kind of from a weeks ago, but it was always on top of the idea of he's snake bit. He's getting you know, he's gonna have fifty-five assists in fifty-five games, but how many goals is he gonna have? 
Well, now he suddenly has nine goals in his last 15 games to go with 17 assists. So he still has over a point a game in just assists, but he's got nine goals in his last 15. Nathan McKinnon is back. Kale McCarr is back. If they were gone somewhere, which they weren't because they've been good all year, you know, injury aside, if they were gone and they've just come back to a team that already has 60 points in 41 games, it's a pretty damn good team. Yeah, and on that note too, I think the penalty kill, or excuse me, the power play is also kind of back to where it's supposed to be at those threatening levels. I mean, I know they're not scoring on every opportunity, but you get the feeling that at least once a game, as long as they get the opportunities, that power play can can really create some stuff now. Yeah, and and you know, it was nice to see him score on the 5 on 3 today cuz I feel like they've had a couple of of those opportunities lately where they haven't been able to, but the power play looks good even in the games where they haven't been able to score. They've always looked good and I I go back to that game where Gabe Landeskog said, "I know what you guys are going to do, all you media, you're going to go out there and you're going to write your story about how the power play is struggling, but we don't feel we're struggling. We're doing the things that we need to to eventually score." And Gabe was right. They're eventually scoring. They're doing a good job at it, and they have the weapons. Uh, I think the Donskoy and Kadri switch was a really, really good move because, number one, Donskoy has been hot. He's kind of cooled off. Number two, having Kadri on that second line, A, gives you a centerman, and B, puts him with Burakovsky and Saad, who were his line mates, you know, were, because Nachushkin played on that line today, but were his regular line mates. So it really just goes to show how much more stacked the Avalanche's second unit is as compared to, you know, couple years ago where McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog would play minute and a half with Tyson Berry and whoever else, and then your second pair comes trotting out, and it's like Blake Como and Carl Soderberg or whoever. Yeah, and we see the power play on such a regular basis. It's easy for us to poke holes in it, right? But we heard today in Devin Dubnik's press conference, you know, how did other teams scout the Avs? And his response was, you know, obviously keep that top line in check and then the power play. You got to stay out of the box because if not, that power play is too potent. So, you know, if that's the way other teams are, are looking at it, I think that's maybe a little more reasonable, you know, just because we can, we can tend to be a little bit more critical of it, uh, that it's right in front of us and we see it every single game. So I think uh, the power play is fine. The defense is in good shape. And, and like you said, uh, everything just seems to be going the right direction with the team and, and, Kale McCarr's getting hot at the right time. You hope the rest of the team follows suit. Yeah, and I think right now the only guys that kind of aren't super hot are, let's say, Brandon Saad, who even scored a few games ago, and maybe Nazem Kadri hasn't had as many points as he probably should. Uh, Tyson Jost on the third line in that center role has done everything good this season but put up points, which has kind of been the biggest issue with him his entire NHL career. Which, you know, brings me back to why, you know, when I was salivating over the idea of Getzloff was partly for the points and partly for the physicality. Um, but there really isn't many holes in the roster right now. Liam O'Brien's been doing A-OK, but you know Liam O'Brien's not going to play every game. You know you have O'Connor and you have Calvert sitting on the outside kind of, you know, nursing injuries right now that probably aren't that serious, but they're just nursing injuries because why not give them rest? So... I mean, the Avalanche are probably going to add a forward by the time a lot of you listen to this. Monday's the deadline. We're looking at, you know, just over 12 hours until the deadline. But they don't really need to. It's just a matter of stocking up and, and going all in on the season. Yeah, and for Kadri, I think the games just haven't been big enough for him to perform. Yeah. Right? He only likes those big spotlight moments. He so loves the spotlight. Wait for the playoffs. He should kick it back into gear. And Saad, I feel like he's been knocking. He's had some good opportunities right in front, so you know I'm not too worried about yeah. him either. And so if those are the two weak points of the uh, Avs offense right now, I think they're, things, they're are, just, things are looking good. 
there's no weak points. That's the thing. We right. see them every single game. If any fan of any other team was listening to this right now, they'd be like, these guys need to relax. Your team is great. <laughs> and they are. And that's just the reality of it. So bringing in Dubnik and bringing in Nemeth has been great. I think the Avalanche are going to make one more move for a forward. Uh, I don't know who Joe Sackick has his eyes on. I thought it was Nick Foligno, but he was traded to Toronto today. Uh, maybe a try and get Slav coming in on the airplane and fighting fighting Keaton Mill. LRB and like row 27 of the airplane and everyone's like all right dude relax but this team is good as is and they have depth and they have 13 14 15 forwards deep and 9 10 11 14 defensemen deep they now have three goaltenders and one guy sitting on IR like this is a good team this is who you want and the next 15 games are just kind of going to be coasting into the playoffs trying to keep a hold of first place in the West division, maybe in the NHL to have that president's trophy and to have home ice guaranteed throughout the playoffs. And we're 28 days away from the end of the regular season. That's it. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if they don't make another move just for that reason. I mean, I think in Joe Sackick's eyes, this team's ready to go. This team's ready for a run. And I don't, I don't really think adding anybody is really going to help you that much. Cause then you got the whole dilemma of, potential chemistry issues right so i think what you got in place is uh, good enough so go with it and if not then then you circle back on making some additions in the off season yeah and we'll see what happens by then but right now as far as i'm concerned this team is this team's ready to go they, they seem to be in a good position both with uh with their salary cap situation now hopefully with their salary cap situation moving forward seeing how landis Gog and mccarr and potentially grubauer were all are all going to resign and uh, the expansion draft situation is not looking too bad. You're well, gonna lose. You're gonna lose a Graves or a or a Comfer or a Jost. Those are good players, but it's not really gonna affect you. Easily replaceable. Yes. Let's look ahead at the uh, next couple games. If the Avs do make a big move here, one more final move in the trade deadline, we'll come back and record to kind of break that down. If not, we got to go all the way to past the St. Louis game. That's no, no two-game series here coming up. They got one against Arizona and one against St. Louis. So I guess let's start with the snoozer that is going to be the Arizona game. Thank goodness it's the last time we see them this year, right? Yeah, Arizona's coming back to Ball Arena where last time they were here, McKinnon threw a helmet at a guy and the Avalanche scored nine goals. So good luck. Uh, Connor Garland's a guy that the Avalanche would be really great to acquire considering uh, how good of a player he is, how scrappy he is, and let's face it, it would be hilarious to have him and McKinnon in the same locker room, just like Dubnik and Landeskog. <laughs> but yeah, it's ultimately going to be a snoozer. It's a one-gamer at home for the Avs, and they go to St. Louis on the road, who, by the way, the Blues are suddenly playing well again. And then they come back for two straight against Anaheim. So it's kind of going to be a snoozer of a week. It's just going to be about getting Nemeth's feet wet and back into this into the swing of things, getting hopefully Dubnik into one of these games. Um, I'd like them to save Dubnik for one of the home games against LA just because his debut deserves to be in front of Avalanche fans um, and seeing what happens with the rest of the trade. Yeah, I guess the one thing keeping the next couple games interesting is the Avs can play spoiler, right? It's it's St. Louis versus Arizona fighting for that final playoff spot That's in the West. That's true. So, That's true. Um, yeah, if one of them happens to beat the Avalanche, that suddenly gives them quite the leg up on the other. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, but yeah, not looking forward to anything really too exciting. Just uh, hopefully, like we said last podcast, the Avs stay engaged and just keep the keep the goal at hand and keep getting ready for playoffs because you want to be buzzing heading in and not just uh, heading in on f flat-footed and bored of the teams you've been playing. 
Yeah, and, and I think the Avalanche have that right mindset. They're not going to go coasting into this. Maybe maybe Kadri is because the uh, the game in the spotlight isn't as big as it should mm-hmm. be, and obviously that's a <laughs> joke. But this team in general, I mean, look at the way McKinnon's been playing and the way he played against Anaheim in these two games. Well, today, because the last game was kind of a slow snoozer. But it says to me that they know that they have to keep the foot on the pedal, and it says to me that they're in a, they're in a position where they know that they can they can truly make a long run for the Cup. And uh, they can't ruin that by taking a couple weeks off to prepare. They'd rather get in a rhythm like Grubauer was telling us for all those weeks where he was playing every other night where, you know, we're constantly like, do you need a break? Do you need a break? And he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm in a rhythm. I'm good. Ryan Graves said the same thing. We're in a rhythm. We're playing every other night. They've got 15 games in 27 days. They're going to do the smart thing of not overplaying certain guys but they're going to keep that rhythm going. I think just as important, they got to be careful to not overrest Philip Grubauer. I mean, that you're yes, mentioning how yes. important he said that rhythm yes. was to him. Get him back in the rhythm. Get him back to playing every other night just before playoffs so and he's Bednar, ready to rumble. Yeah. And, and Bednar did say that. So, you know, he, he did mention it's a matter of getting him into this, you know, you know, keeping him in his rhythm, but also giving him much-needed rest. So, uh it's kind of going to be a double-edged sword. It's going to be something that Bednar is going to have to juggle, but I think they're going to be okay. Um, injuries aside, injuries to big names, you know, the Grubauers, the McCars, the McKinnons, Rantanins, uh, I think this team is set up for a long playoff run, and I think the Golden Knights and the St. Louis Blues and the Minnesota Wild, potentially the Coyotes, all know that the Avalanche are going to – they're going to have their work cut out for them if they have to play the Avalanche in the playoffs. Right. Uh, you know, I'm with you. I don't want to count my chickens too early, but – no, I'm I so excited that. for that air, uh, for that Avalanche Vegas series in the playoffs if it gets to yeah. that point because it, that's, that's... going to be the only real test I think because you look across at the East and even the top teams there don't really put too much fear in my heart. That's that's assuming the uh, you know assuming the standings are as they are. That's assuming Vegas mm-hmm. gets past Minnesota. Yeah, a lot could happen. And and I say that again because I'm going to say the same thing that started with our podcast with Chris Johnston a week before training camp started. Vegas' second-line center is Chandler Stevenson, and I just gave him the respect of saying his full name for once. If they don't bring in another centerman, and especially if the Avalanche, and I know it's not going to happen, but if they go out and get Ryan Getzlav, what? where's the matchup there? Who are you putting up against Getzlav, let alone Kadri, let alone <laughs> McKinnon? So and that's you really the- want Getzlav. Yeah, and that yeah, I really do, dude. He would be such a great fit. But that's that's the biggest issue that I have with Vegas is that lack of center depth, and that's where the Avalanche have them beat. I hear you. So uh, before we wrap up, we don't have any three stars, but I did want to take a second to shout out Gabe Landeskog for scoring his 500th career point with the Avalanche. Um, obviously, a pretty sweet milestone. We know he's climbing and eventually going to be one of the all-time greats to ever don the Avalanche sweater. Yeah, and that's his 40th point this season in only 39 games. So he's doing pretty damn good. Yeah, absolutely. So um, anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap it up? That's it. Just keep an eye on my Twitter tomorrow. It's going to be a busy day. I'll probably record one of those nice, fun videos that I like to do with uh, maybe a flashy shirt, maybe a very boring white background, (laughs) and just talk about trades, assuming the avalanche do something. Don't forget to smile, whatever you do. Yeah. Uh, Just so you know, in the... the (laughs) I, I don't do a lot of smiling when I'm when I'm recording. It's funny. Uh, just so you know, in the 45 minutes that we've been recording, the Ottawa Senators traded Braden Coburn to the Islanders. They traded Mike Riley to Boston, and Calgary traded David Riddick to Toronto. Oh wow! We'll strap. So in. teams, yeah, third rounder for David Riddick. So the Avalanche got Dubnik for a fifth. 
Toronto got Big Dave save. I, I always say that wrong. Big save <laughs> Dave for a third in 2022. So the trades are coming in. It's it's going to be a long night. It's 9-10 right now where we are. It's 11-10 on the East Coast where these trades are happening. So these GMs are going to be up all night. Yep, strap in. It should be a fun one tomorrow. So, um, you know, I'm happy that you joined us to listen to our podcast here, break down the Anaheim series, break down the trade. So thanks a lot for hanging out with us. Um, we'll be back later this week to break down some more as hockey. And then, you know, it's time for the playoff stretch, you know, the, the final season, final stretch down the season here and uh, head into the playoffs. So time to kick it into gear with you guys. So, again, I appreciate every single one of you listening. Thanks for hanging out with us, Arif. Before you go. Bob McKenzie is saying that Jeff Carter's probably going to Pittsburgh. So all these teams are loading up. Let's close this Nothing one like breaking news on a podcast most people are going to listen to tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just had to get that in there. <laughs> right on. Well, yeah, thanks again for hanging out with us. Uh, if you made it this far on the podcast, bless your heart. We'll be back later this week. Hockey's for everyone. And we out you. Oh, I forgot to mention, thanks to our sponsors at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Bingo. We out you. What's the reason for?